The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. All right, Acts chapter 2, we'll be in verse 42. Uh, Last week we talked about fruitfulness. Uh, And we talked about the fact that uh, real fruitfulness is not a focus on attendance or emotionally manipulated decisions. Uh, that's, that's Honestly, that's been, been the, the, the focus of many churches for the past several decades. Um, they want results, results-based ministry, and, uh, and, and there's not a lot of fruit in that, not real authentic life change. Um, you, you, you can manipulate the numbers and make it look like you're doing an awesome job, uh, but if there's not actual real spiritual fruit, then, then we're not accomplishing what we're supposed to be accomplishing. Um, and we read John fifteen sixteen. It says, "You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you." And like I told you last week, this is this is what I want for fellowship, not pretense, not just typical old churchy church, but real, authentic. Life change, a church that longs for authentic life change, a church that labors towards building God's kingdom rather than worldly success. We've seen in our era, in our time, uh, this mega church movement where churches are, uh, that we've got these ginormous churches in almost every big city in America, um, and, and, and these big churches are built on the charisma of their of their preacher. You know, the guy can get up and, and because of his own personality and his own giftedness, uh, people come in just swarms. They watch him on TV and, 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 they, and they, love, uh, they love him. They love him. And uh, they will fight for him. Uh, and they uh, are followers of him often. Um, and, and, and the church is well-versed in growth tactics they've uh, implemented. You know how many books you can find on, on church growth tactics? You know how many, you, you can actually, I, I, we could pay somebody to come in here and show us how to manipulate the numbers and, and get people in, into, the, into the auditorium. You, you could do that. There's, there's companies that, that come and do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, what have we accomplished? And what have we achieved by uh, just getting people in the room? Uh, and, and, I, and I told you that's, that's not what we're aiming for. And I've told you before, that, that my goal is not to grow fellowship. My goal is not to make fellowship the biggest church in Nederland. Uh, my goal is to build the kingdom because that's what we're called to do. We're called to build the kingdom, and if there's forever 200 people in the room, but we're sending people out and they're building churches and they're reaching people for, for the kingdom, then, then that's, that's, that's free. That's a win. Um, that's what we're aiming at. My, my, we're aiming at real life change, real fruit that's not based on uh, charisma or how entertaining our worship is, although they do a great job, uh, or how strategic our systems are. And I'm a systems guy. I'm a nerd like that. I love sitting around thinking of ways that we can fix things. But that's not what this is about. That's not the goal of what we're doing here. Real growth that's a result of a real God who is really powerful enough to change the hearts of men. That's what we want. That's what, we, that's what we're, we're longing for. And uh, I said last week, though, that before we can be fruitful corporately, uh, we have to be fruitful individually. There is no 
corporate fruit. Fellowship's not going to be a fruitful church. We're not going to see a lot of life change if all of us individually aren't, aren't doing this, if we're not bought into uh, the Jesus thing. And so uh, we walked through uh, John 15, 1 through 8, and we discussed the fact that there are some who come to an intellectual agreement that Jesus is God. There are some people who come to this intellectual understanding that Jesus is God, but they never really surrender themselves to him. They acknowledge, hey, Jesus is God, and, and he can save me, and, and he's, he's the key to not go to hell, and, and they have this intellectual understanding of that, but they never truly give themselves over to Christ. They never surrender themselves to him as Savior and as Lord, and, and, and there is no salvation without that surrender. And so last week we basically had four points. One, there's no fruit apart from Christ. You're not going to be a fruitful Christian apart from Christ. There's just there, there's no way uh, to produce fruit apart from Christ. Uh, also, we said there's no such thing as an unfruitful Christian. There's no such thing as an unfruitful Christian. If you are a Christian, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, if you've given your life to Christ, then the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit will work inside of you and you will produce fruit. There is no Maybe you will produce fruit. And then we talked about the, the result of unfruitfulness is destruction. For those who are unfruitful, who, those who are apart from Christ, they ultimately will face destruction. And then we said the result of fruitfulness is abundant life. Those who are in Christ, who, have, uh, who are part of, of that vine, they get to experience life. They get to experience life abundantly. That's what Jesus said, that he came to give life and to give it abundantly. And so this week, we're going to shift our focus to see what it looks like to be fruitful corporately. We, we, we talked last week about what it looks like to be fruitful individually, but what does it look like for us as a church to be fruitful? And where better to turn than the early church in the book of Acts? Now, we've studied this text a couple of uh, years ago, and much of what I'm going to say this morning, I've said before, you're not going to hear a whole lot of new stuff this morning. Um, but I am a firm believer that we need to be reminded over and over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, how many times have you ever walked into a room and been like, I don't know what I came in this room for? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. It's not just like the older crowd. I know you older crowd people, like you've probably done that like every day. But uh, like I'm getting to the point to where that happens way too often. Um, and, and, and and the truth is we we... We get so wrapped up in what we've got going on in life. We've got our jobs. We've got our families we've got to raise. We've got all the stuff that our kids are involved in. We get so wrapped up in life that we forget what we're really supposed to be about. And, and I think it's important that we multiple times draw our focus back in on what this is really all about. And so that's why I want to spend some time looking at this familiar passage. Um, so let's read it together. Acts 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor 
of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. And so in, in just six verses, we see a group of people that possess spiritual character. We see a group of people uh, that, that are walking in obedience and righteousness. And we see a group of people that are making disciples. So what we're seeing in this passage is a fruitful church. A church that, that is abundant in their fruit. A group of people that are individually producing fruit, thus collectively producing fruit. And this is what the church should look like. This is what it should look like. This is the church in its purest form. No, no pretense, no manipulation, no apathy. Just a group of people that are sold out the gospel. So what are the characteristics we see in this church? What are the things we should be emulating? Well, number one, a fruitful church is devoted to Christ-centered community. A fruitful church is devoted to Christ-centered community. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit, but look what he says first in uh, verse 42, the second part. Is, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And in verse uh, 44, uh, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. Verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Uh, yesterday, several of us guys went over to help uh, Julian uh, rip out a bunch of stuff in his, his new house. We gutted a bunch of stuff. That's why my nose is running from all the dust and all that stuff. Uh, but we went over there and we tore it out, all, a bunch of stuff out. And then uh, later on, he shot us all a text. And he uh, was just thanking us, and, and he said something that kind of stuck out to me, uh, and, and was kind of has been in my mind ever since. He he said, you know, I consider you guys real brothers, truly brothers, um, and it, it had me thinking about my experience with with church, um, the, the the people that that I do life with are people who I've built some of the most meaningful relationships or here in this body. Um, I met my wife in church. Um, I, I, I've made some of the most lifelong friends, people who, even if you don't see them for 10 years, you pick up back where you left off, right? Uh, people who uh, know me, know my flaws. Uh, they know uh, my successes and can rejoice with me in that. Um, people who I've really absolutely done life with, people I trust uh, my, my kids with, people I trust my spouse with, um, people who, like Julian said, are legitimately brothers. Um, and, and that's meaningful, right? There's something, there's something to that. That's what church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be this just shallow, hey, how's it going on Sunday mornings kind of kind of deal. It's it's not supposed to be a weekly one hour long entertainment where we hear the songs that we like and some preacher tickles our ears. Church is supposed to be community. It's supposed to be people that you do life with. This 
talk about what we mean by when we, when we say community. He says they were devoted to the fellowship. This, this church was devoted to koinonia. This is the word that is used there, to fellowship. This is more than, again, more than just surface level relationships. They devoted themselves to doing life together. They were linked together over the common mission of building God's kingdom. When you have relationships, if they're built on some kind of shallow level foundation, then any kind of little earth-shattering thing can, can ruin that. But if you've built those relationships on this common mission of building God's kingdom, which has this infinite eternal value, and those relationships just have a little bit, a little bit more meaning to them. They're, they're deeper. They're more important. And this is a natural symptom of fruitfulness. Look what John says in 1 John 1, 5-7. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship. We have koinonia with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John's saying if we walk in light, we'll have fellowship with one another. Why? Because we're walking in the light together. Because we're united in this same common goal. We're walking in the light together. Your most meaningful relationship should be with Christians. If you're a Christian, your most meaningful relationship should be with other Christians. Why? Because you're living in the light together. You're living in the light together. You're warring against the darkness together. You're building the kingdom together. You're united on something that's deeper than all of the surface level worldly things that are out there. You're, you're, you're built on this foundation of the gospel and we labor together to advance God's kingdom. Those relationships should be more meaningful than other relationships because they're built on something that's more meaningful. We see in the text this idea of unity. It says they were together and held all things in common. So not only were they doing life together, but they were united together for one common cause. Look what Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Let me just ask you, how many times... Do we hear about churches splitting or fighting? How many times do we hear about that? I go to a weekly pastor's prayer meeting with the pastors in the area. And just the one this week, I heard about three churches. Three churches that were on the verge of a split because of conflict. That's just this week. And that's just in the Golden Triangle. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We live in this weird, this weird setup culture of Christianity now where so many churches have, are born because of conflict. Because one group of people didn't like the orange carpet and one people didn't like the green carpet and so they fought and they said, we're going to go build our own orange carpet church. We're going to call it Orange Carpet Baptist Church. <laughs> we laugh, but that's, that's legitimately true that people fight over some of the stupidest stuff. They're, they're wanting to bring in that, that contemporary worship music, and so we want our old school stuff, and we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go start our own old school church. We call it Old School Baptist Church. I mean, what are we doing? 
What are we doing? You know what causes that? Pride. Pride. All of these conflicts within these churches, pride. And usually, by all the parties involved, disunity isn't honoring to God. Disunity isn't honoring to God. Paul says, I urge you to agree. No divisions. United with the same understanding and conviction. So there's the answer. Don't get consumed by stuff that doesn't matter. Don't get consumed by stuff that doesn't matter. Stop worrying about your preferences and start worrying about God's glory. If we do that, it'll be all right. If everybody would put aside all of their own preferences and focus on what really matters of building the kingdom, and we're united on that, and we're okay with maybe some of our wants and desires not being met, and we realize that this isn't about us, we're not here to worship ourselves this morning, we're here to worship the Lord, right? We're here to walk in obedience to His truth. If that's what our priority is, collectively as a body, then the, the, the divisions and the, and the turmoil within the body, they don't exist. This is not about us, but when our pride seeps in and we start thinking, I'm not getting what I want and, and, and that preacher guy doesn't preach the way I like it and the music isn't the way that I like it and they played that song that I hate and we start thinking about how we experience this moment, this time every Sunday, then, then <laughs> of course there's going to be divisions because we've made it about us and not about what really matters. If you get mad because of preference, you are your idol. We shouldn't be divided. We're all running the same race. There's no reason to disunite. Notice what else he says. Not only that, but they're meeting together. They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. Now I want to just kind of focus in on that word. They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They were devoted to it. So not only did they live in community and unity, but they also actually devoted themselves to meeting together. Listen, I'm, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I think we all get it, but this is about priorities. This is about priorities. You know how many times I've had people come up and they're making excuses about, it's just so hard to get up in the morning. You know, it's just, it's early and, just really hard to get up and we're just so busy we've got all this stuff going on in our lives listen i love you i love you and i try to keep it keep it straight with you that's something i've tried to commit myself to not not pamper you but to be completely honest with you the issue isn't that you can't get up or that you're busy it's not the issue the issue is that your priorities are not right the issue is that you value other things over the assembly of believers. Just call it what it is. We have no issue getting to the places that we want to get to. We don't. We have no issue waking up early when it's deer hunting time. Five o'clock hits, we're in the stand, man. Some people are earlier than that. We have no issue getting up for work and things that are important. So the issue is not that we can't. And I think we should just be honest, at least, and say, you know what? I just didn't prioritize it. At least we're being honest. And maybe we can do something about it. 
Look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, meeting together is not about attendance. When you get to heaven, they're not going to give you a perfect attendance ribbon. All right? There's, there's, there's no perfect attendance certificate. Some of you are like, wait a second. I've been here every day my entire life because I thought there was a ribbon. No, there's no ribbon. It's not about perfect attendance. It's okay to go on vacations with your family. It's okay uh, to, to, to miss every now and then for, for things like that. I'm not saying that you've got to be here every minute, every day. The, the goal is not some religious checkbox that you say, I was there every single Sunday my entire life. This is about seeing value in what God has declared valuable. You see the difference? One is, I'm going to do this because I'm going to check this box and that's what, that's what I'm supposed to do. The other says, my heart agrees with God that this is valuable. God has said that what we're doing right now is valuable. We just read it. Right? It's, it's in the book. Don't forsake the assembly of believers. That our community and our meeting together is important. God has declared it. It's, it's, it's in the book. And so you have to decide you agree. You have to decide you agree. And if this misses out to every other thing in your life, you don't agree. That's just the truth. You don't agree. I think it's time that we stop pretending like all these other things are, are, are the problem when really the problem is our hearts. That's always the issue. We value other things more than what we than what what God has prescribed that we should value. Meeting together is not about attendance; it's about provoking and encouraging. You know, I've had conversations with guys who are like, you know, I can I I I can find God in the deer stand. When I'm in the deer stand, it's it's a spiritual it's a spiritual moment. I can pray. I have this real spiritual time with God in the deer stand and it's just as good as church and, and I've heard people talk about you know I don't need to be there I can listen online they, they, I can listen to these preachers that are great all over the world and there's these I can worship in my car I don't need the church you know and you know a lot of that's mostly true of course you can find God in the deer stand he's everywhere and of course you can have a spiritual moment there. And of course you can worship in your car. And of course you can listen to way better preachers online. Yet the book says don't forsake assembling together. And these early Christians saw so much value in meeting together that they did it every day. They saw so much value that they did it every day. Why? Because we need the church for provoking and encouraging. It's not enough just to hear a preacher online. It's not enough just to worship in your car. It's not enough just to find God in the deer stand. You need a body of believers to provoke you towards good works and encourage you along in your walk. That's what you need. And it's prescribed in Scripture. And if you disagree with it, whether in your words or within your actions, you're disagreeing with the book. You're disagreeing with God. And again, I'm, I'm just trying to draw us out of this nominal... Christianity that our culture has created and, and, and push us towards accepting the truth that we have become a people who worship other things than God. 
and it's evident in our decision making. So a fruitful church is devoted to Christ-centered community, but also a fruitful church is devoted to spiritual growth. Look what, they, what it says in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Several years ago, I started going to the gym with a friend of mine. And he was a uh, like bodybuilder. Like, he, he's like model. We called him Beautiful Eric. Some of you guys know who he is. Uh, picked on him all the time. So we'd go to the gym, and uh, man, he was all about it. He, he was devoted to physical fitness, to muscle growth. He he ate certain things. He was real like careful about his diet. Um, he would do all kinds of research online. He took certain supplements, um, and, and on and on and on. He was obviously incredibly devoted to shaping up his body the way that he wanted it to be. And then I would go with him, and uh, I think I just aggravated him. Because <laughs> I'd go when it was, like, convenient, you know? Like, you know, he went at 5 a.m. in the morning. Who wants to give up 5 a.m. in the morning? So sometimes I would go, um, and he would try to, like, get me to diet, but I like chips and salsa too much. Um, and so, tr- truth be told, I just, like, I like the idea of it. I'd love to look like him. Um, but I'm not that committed. I'm like, I'm not going to the gym every day at 5 a.m. In fact, I don't know, I haven't been to the gym in, at 5 a.m. since, like, I was hanging out with him 10, 15 years ago. Um, uh, and, and so I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not committed to that. And so the results are evident, right? He's committed to it, and he's, he's like, legitimately a model. Like, it's kind of weird, but he's, he's a model. And, and, and I am not <laughs> nowhere near that. Um, and so who, who, who's likely to see more growth? Well, he's likely to see more growth because he's devoted to it, right? Right. He's devoted to working on his body, eating right, exercising and all of that stuff. And I'm devoted to tacos and chips and salsa. That's, that's where my devotion lies. Um, and so that, that there's evidence, right? So the one who is more likely to see growth is the one who's actually devoted to it. The same is true in our spiritual walk. The person that's more devoted to spiritual growth is going to see spiritual growth, right? Those of us who aren't really devoted to it, like we, we come when it's convenient and, you know, we, we, we open our Bible or the one in the pew or whatever. We open our app and, and we'll, we'll follow along with the preacher and listen when we're not playing on Facebook or uh, whatever. I know some of you right now, we've got cameras and I make lists. Uh, I know some of you are playing games on your phone. Um, but we're not, we're not really committed to it. We're not reading our Bible at home. We're not trying to grow. We're not invested. Um, look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5, verse 11. He says, We have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. The writer of Hebrews is trying to explain this theological idea. He's like, I'm so frustrated. I can't even explain it to you because you're lazy. You're not investing in your growth. He says, you're too lazy to understand, although by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. 
Now everyone who li- lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. We become too lazy. This is true about the American church. This is so true about us. We have become too lazy. We're like big old fat babies. Feed me. Right? Big old fat babies sitting every Sunday. Feed me, feed me, feed me. You know how many times I've heard someone say, well, I just left that church because I just wasn't being fed. At some point, you got to feed yourself. I mean, absolutely, churches feed people. Pastors or shepherds, they feed. Uh, Preaching the word is important, and I get that some people aren't doing that, and it is time to leave when that's the case. But but at some point, you got to feed yourself. You can't be dependent on someone else for your spiritual growth at some point. you gotta, you got to figure it out. Imagine if your kids were 17 and sitting at the table saying, Feed me! Right? You'd punch them in the throat. There's no way. When they're babies, it's one thing, right? You, you ever done, like when you feed your kid, you got to open your mouth too for some reason? Right? When they're babies, it's one thing, but when they get to be teenagers, my goodness, if they're not feeding themselves, what have we done? And we've got a whole church across America that's still like, feed me! It's time to grow up. It's time to grow in your understanding of who God is and your application of the truth of God's Word. Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is God's will, your sanctification. This is God's will for your life, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. God's will for your life is that you grow, that you don't remain stagnant, that you grow in knowledge, of course, that we grow in our understanding of who God is, but also in our application of it in our lives. We can know the Scriptures, and if we're not living it, what does it matter? It's important to grow, to to prioritize growth. This church was devoted to spiritual growth. And if we're going to be fruitful, we've got to do the same. We've got to do the same thing. We need some people who have been in this for a long time to push away from the table and say, I'm ready to start helping feed other baby Christians. But for a lot of people, they're not ready for that because they've not invested in their growth. They've been in church their whole lives. They're not ready to teach. So the writer of Hebrews says, you should be teachers by now. You've been in church your whole life. You should know this stuff. It's time to invest in growth so that you can invest in others. You see how that works? It's not just so that you grow for your own sake. It's so that you can use that growth to build God's kingdom. So you can be used by Him to disciple and help others grow and teach and invest. Growth is a product of fruitfulness. A church that is fruitful is a church that prioritizes spiritual growth. Not only that, but a fruitful church is devoted to sacrificial giving. Look at verse 45. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Let me set up a scenario for you. Let's say your best friend start selling all their stuff. They start selling all kinds of stuff. They, they sell, sell their brand new car. They buy something that's just barely good enough to get them to point, from point A to point B. They sell, sell their house. 
uh, and move into something that's more downsized. They start uh, selling all of their all of their expensive things, and and then they just start giving all that money away. They start giving it all away to everybody who has a need. You would think they're crazy. You might even try to like interject, like, "Hey, and I get it. I'm all about giving, but you're taking this like I'm worried about you." taking this kind of far. I'm concerned that you're going to put yourself in a position where you're not able to take care of yourself. You're not able to take care of your family. We would try to start speaking logic into the situation. I think if we're honest, most of us would do that. We, we would be concerned. But let's, let's put it into this context. Let's say your spouse starts doing that. That makes it hit home a little bit more, right? Because then it's your stuff. Let's say your spouse starts selling all of your stuff and starts giving all your money away. How are you going to feel about that? That's exactly what's going on here. That's exactly what's going on here. These people are doing something that is totally illogical and crazy. They're selling their land. They're selling their possessions. And then they're giving the money away to people who have needs. Now before we get too far in this, let me clarify something. And I told you this a year ago about this time, but I want to remind us. When we say that a fruitful church is devoted to sacrificial giving, I'm not talking about tithing. I'm not talking about tithing. I said last year, tithing isn't giving, it's returning. Tithing isn't giving, it's returning. And and let me help illustrate what I mean by this. My birthday comes around. My kids want to buy me something. They ain't got no money. They ain't got no money. I have to give them money. I have to give them money so that they can buy something for me. How illogical is that? How about I just keep my money? Right? But they like to, to, to be able to give, and they want to be able to, that, that's a blessing for them to be able to, to, to give, and so they enjoy that, that process, right? And so, and so that's what that looks like. But, but it's kind of this crazy, illogical thing. Like I'm giving them my money so that they can buy me something. Well, that's, that's exactly kind of what's going on here. What, 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 is, what is a tithe? Your tithe is God's to begin with. He laid claim to a tenth of our income. Leviticus 27.30 Every tenth of the Lord's produce, land's produce, grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So a tenth, 10%. A tithe is 10%. Not only that, Proverbs 3.9 Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. So not only is it 10%, but it's the first 10%. Before you pay your bills, before you do all your other stuff, tithe is 10%. And it's the first fruits. Now, some people will try to argue that tithing is not a New Testament principle. They'll say, Jesus never said to tithe. Nowhere in the New Testament that commands tithing. And if I'm completely honest with you, there was a point early on in my ministry where I started buying into that idea. That, that you're right. I don't see a command for tithing. It looks like it's just kind of an Old Testament law and, and we're free from that. But Jesus affirms the tithe. He actually does it a few times, but one example is in Luke eleven forty two. He says, but woe to you Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things should have, uh, have done, uh, these things should have done without uh, neglecting the others. These things should be done without neglecting the others. So tithing should be done, but without neglecting all of the other things that we should be doing as believers. In other words, 
Tithing should never be about some kind of ritualistic religious thing. It's not like, oh, I'm going to check my box and I'm going to get my perfect attendance award and my giving award when I get to heaven. I'm going get, to get the patch. It's not, it's not what it's about. Um, and, and this is all about perspective. If, if you view money as something that you've earned in your own efforts, which we, we let's, let's be honest, we do that, right? We become very possessive when we start talking about money. It's my money. I worked for it. I earned it. I labored for it. Uh, it's 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 mine. And, and if that's true, then of course it feels weird and uncomfortable when God lays claim to ten percent. But if you realize that you have nothing apart from Jesus, if you realize that you have nothing apart from Christ. That the air that you breathe, the knowledge that you possess, your talents and your abilities are all a gift from God, then returning 10% back in obedience is no problem to you. Hey, He lets you keep the other 90%. Job 41.11 who, who is first given to me that I should repay Him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. When we understand that God has given us everything we have, we will naturally obey Him with the money that He has entrusted with us. Tithing is an act of obedience born from a heart of genuine faith. That's what tithing is. It's an act of obedience. But what we're talking about here is more than tithing. What we're talking about is sacrificial generosity. These people weren't just giving 10% of their income. You see what it said in the text? It wasn't like, hey, they brought in their 10%. They were all faithful. Every member, 10%. No, they were selling their land and their possessions to meet needs. This is above and beyond the tithe. These people were incredibly generous. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3. He says, I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege sharing in the ministry to the saints. Not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So do we, what do we see here about giving? Giving sacrificial. Right? You see that there. Giving is sacrificial. In both texts, we see people giving beyond their means. In both texts, we see people giving in a radical way. They're giving sacrificially. It costs them something. In many cases, it, it costs them so much that, that most people would say that's illogical, that's radical, that's crazy, you're, you're doing too much. Not only is giving sacrificially, but it's also rightly motivated. There's no compulsion. right? It's not like the, the, the church hired this like giving consultant to come in and try to persuade all of the members to be generous. Nobody had to convince them. Nobody had to beg them. Nobody had to con them into giving. They didn't have to bring in some person that they, they gave of their own accord. Listen, if you're, if you're in here thinking this is just another pastor asking for your money, you're missing the point. Keep your money. Keep it. God doesn't need your money. His church doesn't need your money. Keep it. If your heart is... is, is 
in, in a place where it's I'm, I'm gripping onto this stuff. You're, you're not giving out of a heart of generosity, so what's the point? I don't want you to give if you're not giving freely. Because what have we gained? What have we gained? If we're all giving because we all feel guilty, or somebody like, cons you into giving, what, what have we gained? That's not fruit. And remember, remember, the goal here is real, genuine, spiritual fruit. The goal here is heart change, that you see this differently. This isn't about checking a box. This is about becoming generous with your money because you want to see the kingdom grown. You want to see the kingdom advance. You want to see the work of God advanced in our world. If that's, if that's your heart and you're giving with that, then wonderful. If your heart is, man, another preacher up there talking about money, no, keep it. We'll be fine. Because God is in control of all of it anyway. Giving is about contributing to the mission of building God's kingdom. It's not about paying church bills. And so if you're if you're not into to that, then keep it. Giving is sacrificial, it's rightly motivated, motivated. It's also a privilege. Look what Paul he says that they beg. They beg to give. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever seen that. Where people are like, please, please let me give. Never seen it. How unbelievable is that? These people were so bought into the mission that they begged to be involved. They wanted to be able to contribute towards the mission. They saw value in investing in the kingdom. And finally, giving is, is to God first. That's what he says. That they... They were about giving to God first and then to them. Paul, Paul says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's what giving's all about. This is why talks on giving are so taboo. This is why preachers don't like to talk about it, feel uncomfortable, feel like they're getting up in somebody's business. Because we've we've distorted this into like, we've got to pay church bills, we've got to meet budget, we've got to make sure that we have all this stuff taken care of. Who cares about all that? Listen, the church is going to prevail. If we got to sell everything, we'll be fine. The church will endure. It's got to be about Jesus first. It's got to be about Jesus first. It's got to be about obedience. It's got to be about worship. The reason it feels so awkward talking about money is because we've taken the worship part out of it. Sacrificial giving is worship. And look, I get that a lot of leaders in churches have been, been poor stewards at times. I understand that some have taken advantage and, and truth is, they're going to answer for that. They'll answer for that. They'll get what they deserve. But their disobedience should not deter our obedience. We give because God says to give. We give because we want to worship Him. We give because we want to see the kingdom expanded. The last point this morning is this, and some of you are thinking, thank goodness. Uh, a fruitful church is devoted to fulfilling the Great Commission. A fruitful church is devoted to fulfilling the Great Commission. Look what verse 47 says. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
we've had a lot of work days over the years. We had a work day yesterday at Julian's, like I said. And I would say that every single work day that I've ever been a part of has had this happen. Where everybody gets there, everybody's like passionate. We're knocking it out. We're working fast and fierce. And then something happens. It's hard to put your finger on it sometimes. But for some reason, people get distracted and they start talking. And when that happens, work day's over. Work day's over. And it's so hard to get people back. Now, yesterday it worked out. We were able to go to lunch. We came back, started hitting hard again. Sometimes that works, but usually it's over. You might as well, you might as well send everybody home. Day's over with. Uh, because once all that talking starts and people are distracted, it's really hard to get back into it. And I think that the church can be like that sometimes. We'll get passionate about making disciples. We get on fire for it. We're all about it. Then as the year progresses, we just kind of get distracted by other things. And we, we lose focus. We forget what this is really all about. What the mission of the church is. Jesus said, go make disciples. That's what he said. That's what this should all be about. Is that we go and make disciples. And like I said earlier, most of what I have said this morning, I said two years ago in January, and I said last year in January, and you know what? I'm going to say it next January. I'm going to say it the January after that. And you're just going to have to hear this message for, for the rest of your life if you stay here every January. You know why? Because we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. We need to help keep ourselves focused on what really matters, being fruitful. Accomplishing the mission that God has given us. This church in Acts obviously was devoted to making disciples because God was adding to their number every day. And these weren't emotionally manipulated decisions. These were real deal. Lives being changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I want fellowship to be about. That's what I want this to be about. We celebrated a few weeks ago all the things that we saw God do in 2021 and I challenge you then to keep on keeping on. So the challenge today is let's be fruitful in 2022. Let's be fruitful in 2022. In our own individual lives first so that we can be fruitful corporately. Why? Because this is the abundant life. This is what Christianity is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about pretense and coming and and just doing church for one hour every week. Church should be about fruitfulness. It should be about mission. It should be about community. That's what I want for us. This is what it looks like for the church to be fruitful, that we gather and live in Christ-centered community, united and meeting together. We're growing growing in our understanding of the Scriptures and our application of it, growing in our service to others, and teaching and discipling, giving sacrificially with the right motive, yes, tithing and obedience, but more so giving sacrificially to meet needs, and then going, all while we accomplish the Great Commission. So the question is, Again, like last week, are you fruitful? Is there fruit in your life? Is there evidence that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? Can you see God at work in your life? Can you see sanctification happening inside of you? You look back and you realize I'm not the same person that I used to be. 
Are you fruitful? And then the question is, are we fruitful as a church? Are we fruitful as a church? Are we a church known for our, our, our community? Are we a church that's known for our, our understanding and application of Scripture? Are we a, a church that's known for our generosity? Are we a church that's known for our mission? That's what it looks like to be fruitful. You want to see fellowship be fruitful in 2022? Let's get on board with this. Let's be fruitful individually in our lives, giving ourselves to Christ so that He can produce fruit in us and through us. And let's be fruitful as a church. You stand with your head bowed and eyes closed. kind of started this off last week talking about being in church for so long and just seeing how how much we've missed it and how much we've invested in the wrong things and gotten wrapped up in and just kind of pretending and faking church. I'm going to be honest with you, that's that's not enough for me. That's not enough for me. Like just coming and pretending like we have it all together, that's it's not gonna cut it. And I hope that it's not enough for you too. I hope that you long for sincerity and authenticity. And what I'm telling you is that sincerity and authenticity is going to be found in the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit and not in anything else. So we have to get a relationship with Jesus. We've got to get that right. And so this morning, if you don't know Christ, if you've never given your life to Him, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. When we give our life to Christ, when we surrender him to Him as Savior, we have this understanding that He is the only way to heaven, but also we surrender to Him as King. The Bible says that, that in that moment we're saved. And we can enter into a reconciled relationship with God. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within us and produces fruit in us. And we can walk in holiness and righteousness. And God can use us for His purpose of building His kingdom. That's what church is all about. It changes lives and makes us into new creations. And we don't want and desire the same things that we wanted and desired before, but we want the things of God and we desire the things of God. That's what, that's what salvation does for us. That's what the gospel does for us. And if it hasn't done that for you, maybe you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ. And if that's you, we would love to have a conversation with you about that. Here in a moment, the band's going to sing. There will be people standing on the sides and they would love an opportunity to, to, to grab you by the hand and just explain in Scripture what it looks like to really give your life to Christ. So that you too can see fruitfulness in your life. You can see the work of God in your life. I pray that for everybody here. I want that for you. I want you to experience the fruitfulness of God in your life. 
so that we can experience the fruitfulness of God in our church collectively. So that God can use us to reach this, this community that we're in. Listen, there are people that are living on your street, people in your families, people that you work with that don't know Christ. And they're living apart from abundance because they don't know Jesus. And I want us to be a fruitful church that can reach those people. And my prayer is that that's what you want to. That you're done with the pretense. You're done with the, the typical old church game. That you long for genuine, sincere fruit. In a moment, we're going to have the band sing. There's an invitation time. You can come down these altars, respond to however God's leading you. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the, the fact that there's power in the gospel. There's power to change lives. So God, I pray that in this moment you would do that. God, we pray that you would spark revival. Draw our affections for you. Draw us closer to you. Help us recognize that there is no life apart from you, that you are the vine. God, I pray that we would remain in you. And that in you we could produce fruit. Real, authentic, genuine fruit. Fruit that only could be produced by you so that when people look, they're, they're, there's no way. There's no way that any person can make that happen. That people would recognize that, yeah, that it's you. We pray for, for that. We pray for revival in our community. We pray for revival first, though, in our own hearts here this morning. We pray that you would be glorified and honored in this time. We pray. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.